chapter 49. Uh, so I've got, just on verse 1, really, I've got several scriptures that uh, someone can help me with. Uh, Craig, if you would look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. Uh, we probably know Genesis 3.15, but, uh, well, Connor, if you could look at Genesis 3.15. Uh, Jim, Isaiah 7, 14, and Chris, Psalm 22, verses 9 and 10. I mean, you're familiar with all these, but it's, it's always good to read. Let's, uh, let's read verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. And we'll read more. Well, as Connor's pointing out, one of the things we need to do in Isaiah is trace down who the servant is. <laughs> and sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's not totally clear. I mean, is he talking about Israel? Well, Israel was God's servant. Is he talking about Christ? Well, the Messiah was God's servant. Is he talking about Cyrus? Cyrus is God's servant. And on and on it goes. It seems almost to go back a little bit back and forth here uh, in these verses. Uh, it goes back to Israel Psalm. It seems like he's talking about this, this Messiah here to me. Uh, particularly, I'm thinking about in verse 1 where he says, The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. Okay. <laughs> now, I must say that we don't know the name of Jesus until the New Testament. I mean, I'm sure there were boys that were named Jesus in Israel. But we don't know this name for the Messiah until the angel gives it to Mary. So, uh, I mean, I think you can check me on that, but I think I'm right on that. Um, so, he was named, how does he say it? From the body of my mother. He was, <laughs> he was named while he was in the body of his mother, or actually before she conceived. Um, so, let's look at that. Uh, Luke 1, 26 through 33. Uh, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel that was sent by God uh, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, he will conceive in your womb, and bring forth the Son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Yes, good enough. Yeah, so in this version here in Luke, I mean, it seems that the angel is naming Jesus. I mean, I, I mean, who could really know exactly about this? But it seems that it's right before, if we could say, that Mary conceives. It's, it's right, at, I mean, maybe it was in that instant. I mean, I don't know. Or the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and she conceives. So it's right there. I mean, it's either, you know five minutes before conception or, uh, or when she conceived. But right there, Jesus receives his name. So this is good uh, This is good for us to know, you know. I mean, the Son of God is eternal. He, he's back in eternity past. But he doesn't bear that name until the angel... I mean, you could say in the mind of God, well, yeah, well, sure, but I mean, I mean, he doesn't really bear the name Jesus until the right then, right? Until the angel gives that name to Mary. So it's from the, it's from the body of his mother that he receives his name. Uh, it seems in verse one that really Cyrus is really not dealt with anymore here. So we're in a new section of prophecy in, in verse forty-nine. Uh, Delich, who you may know from Kiel and Delich, famous German commentators, and others see this as being more explicitly referring to the Messiah here. So that's that's what they think. Uh, okay. So Jesus was named by the angel, I think, before his body was conceived in in the Virgin Mary, or simultaneously with it. However, you want to want to look at that. Uh, okay. The mother of Messiah is also mentioned in other messianic prophecies. If someone has Genesis three fifteen, please. Yes, Connor. Now put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and hers. He will bruise your head. He will bruise his heel. All right. Between you and the woman, your seed and her seed, and so forth. So the woman is named as this mysterious seed is born here. Uh, Isaiah seven fourteen. Someone has that. Therefore, Jim. the Lord Himself shall give you a sign: Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. It's a prophecy. And then Psalm twenty two nine and ten. Chris. Yet you are He who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Okay, and that. Well, Psalm 22, the, the kind of the crucifixion psalm there. So, I mean, a highly messianic psalm. All right. So, uh, verse 3. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So now it's more confusing now. Is it Israel or is it Christ? Go ahead, Chris. Before you get too yeah. far, uh, back in verse 2, yeah. uh, just wanted to point the parallel there with the. 
uh, mouth like a sharp sword, and, and Jesus in Revelation, I think he's depicted as the sword coming forth from his mouth. Very good. I mean, okay. It can't be more clear than that. Well, thank you. I, well, it can't be, but I missed it. So. <laughs> but, 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 but thank you. No, that's good. Very good. Uh, all right. Verse 3. So Israel now is God's servant, uh, in whom I will be glorified. So, and again, I mean, I, I'm not an expert here, but it seems that Israel, as I'm reading this, it seems that Israel's purpose was what? To glorify God, to bring the world into monotheism, and also to reveal the Messiah or the Redeemer. The Redeemer is born through Israel. Uh, so, yes, Israel is God's servant, and God is going to be glorified in Israel. Well, in my understanding, that's been completed with the birth, the life, and death, and resurrection, and ascension of Messiah. He is the glory of Israel. And that's it. Uh, you can correct me here. The man born blind says it quite well. You too want to become his followers? You know, so, I mean, yeah. He's talking to the Pharisees, the leaders. You know, so they want, then they beat this nun up and kicked him out of the synagogue. Right. I can be corrected here. I'm still not totally clear about it, but it well, seems to me right... I'm, I'm Just a second, David. It seems... Just a second. It seems to me that... Uh, uh, Israel now has fulfilled its purpose. They have been glorified in, in the life and death and resurrection of Messiah and his ascension. So I'll go ahead, Dave. I have a question. Could it be interpreted a little slightly differently? Because if you take out Israel, you are my servant in whom I will display my splendor. Could he be speaking to Israel at that point? You are my servant. Israel, listen. You know, Possible. Uh, in whom I display Possible. my splendor. So, Possible. 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 Break up Israel, basically. So. I, 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 I think that's possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. Uh, let's go on. Verse 4. But I said, uh, thinking now we're talking about Messiah, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. So now we're getting into some verses that are, it seems to me, are talking about the exaltation of Christ and the humiliation of Christ. I mean, both are true. I mean, he's humiliated and then he's exalted. Um, so I've labored in vain, I've spent my strength for nothing. Christ on the cross quotes, what is it, Psalm 22? I don't remember. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I mean, okay, well. This is what Messiah says. Um, no, he wasn't forsaken because he, he has victory over the grave through his resurrection from the dead. All right, verse 5. Let's see real quickly, too, if you were just referring back to Israel as being listen or you know, I'm speaking to you. This is, this is the one big thing about the incarnation as far as Israel is concerned. It didn't work. They didn't accept it. And we're going to talk about that here in just a second. Yeah, <clears throat> talk about that in a second. All right, verse 5. 
uh, well, let's see, verse, yeah, verse 4, verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. Uh, so, again, I think Messiah is stating his purpose here, which is to gather Israel to himself. We could look at the Babylonian captivity, but that's not that, though. I mean, it's Messiah is dying for the sins of his people, right? And he's this is the sense, I believe, that it's talking about here. He wants to gather Israel to himself through his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. Well, I'm just talking here. <laughs> okay. Same way beyond the, the earthbound paradigm. Indeed. Indeed. He's about to go all glorious on Verse 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So in verse 6, this Messiah is not only Messiah for Israel, God is raising him up to be a light to all the nations in the world, to every human being in the world. So this, this is getting way beyond physical Israel now, okay? We're talking about the world. But he does, he does mention the preserved ones of Israel. Yes, well, so there are. talking about his elect. Indeed, there are some in Israel that are there, for sure. It's in Israel to uh, remember that Gentiles are a bunch of wild branches Grafted onto the root of Israel and Gentiles within the church. I fully agree. <laughs> All right. Verse 6. Okay, verse in 6. So he so Messiah is not only for Israel, he is for Israel. In fact, we're going to read a passage here in just a second that really struck me this week as I was looking at it. Yeah, Messiah is for Israel. But then he's for the whole world. And in verse six, I light for the nations, that my salvation might reach to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what Jesus said: "Go until you reach the ends of the world." I love that phrase. It's too small a thing just to say that we're going for the whole enchilada. All right. Now, okay, this is the exaltation of Christ. He's a light to the nations for the whole world. Exaltation. Now in verse 7, humiliation, I think, again. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. So we have the despising of Christ, humiliation. Then kings shall see and prostrate themselves, his exaltation. In one verse, so Christ is humiliated, and then he's exalted. Uh, now, okay. Well, 
Well, I have some scriptures here, but I mean, we know this. I mean, we know Christ has been humiliated and exalted. Let's go on to verse 8. Uh, Charlotte, if you would look up Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. And we're going to look at Paul's application of this. Uh, Pastor Nick, 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. So let me read verse 8. Charlotte's going to read it. <clears throat> okay, well, let me read the verse first. Wait, 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 wait. Let me read chapter 8, uh, verse 8 first. <laughs> Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritage. Now, here, this Messiah, if, if I'm right here, if this is talking about the Messiah, rather than Israel being the servant of God, this Messiah becomes a, a covenant, uh, no doubt to Israel, but no doubt to the whole world, really. Uh, but, however... Go ahead, David. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with your forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. For the least, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. This is, you know, that's it. Okay. Well, it's a famous passage. I mean, you know, it's the new covenant that God's going to make. So in this passage in Jeremiah, just reading it as it is, who is God making this new covenant covenant with and whom is it for in that passage in Jeremiah? It appears to be for Israel. So the new covenant, of course, we glory in, you know, the Gentiles and you know, that new covenant and and we're going to read it in a second. But here in Jeremiah, it's really for Israel. So if the Jews, whomever they might be, are not walking in the new covenant, they're just, they're just not walking in what God's prepared for. I mean, he's prepared the new covenant for them. Paul applies this to us, praise the Lord, 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. Working together with them, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I have listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And we could go probably a lot of places in the New Testament. So we know that Paul is preaching like a house of fire, mainly to the Gentiles. So he is opening up through God, no doubt. He's opening the new covenant up to the Gentiles. Praise the Lord. But in Jeremiah, it, it's for the Jews. Well, everywhere Paul went, he went to the synagogue first. Yes. 
and they rejected them, and they yeah. went to the Gentiles. Yeah. Some of them didn't reject them, though. Some did not. Yeah. There was at least 120 of them when they watched him. <coughs> How many? 400 that watched him ascend to heaven? Well, he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm 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 making a point here, and I, I'm trying to develop this in my own theology, and I I'm open to be corrected here. Uh, in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, it talks about the old covenant. It talks about the the uh, priest, the animal sacrifice system, and so forth. From what I've read, most historians think that. Hebrews was, it seems internally, that it was written before the destruction of the temple. So animal sacrifice was still going on. The author of Hebrews says, and he goes through all this new priesthood of Christ and all of this, and he says the old covenant is close to passing away. Close to it. Well, how close? Well, I think it was in 70 AD it passed away. It's, it's over. It's over. I mean, the animal sacrifice system is oval. We don't do this anymore. There's no, there's no way to do it rightly after the No way. It's they, they may take a chicken and rip its head off or something in New York City. But it's idolatry. Yeah. It's idolatry. It has no value. It has no value because it's over. So, in my understanding, the old covenant is over, but the new covenant is valid. Yeah. Well, the old covenant was made patriarchs and with Moses and it was for the nation Israel wow. the nation of Israel which is different from individual Jews and you know there was a multitude of, of individual Jews converted at oh, yeah. Pentecost oh, certainly. but not the nation so I mean that's a distinction it sounds like semantics but I think that's a distinction that actually is well I'm sure there were Jews in the old covenant that believed in Messiah yeah yeah you know, Old Testament saints for salvation yes Israelites I'm just arguing yeah the old no, covenant's I, over yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm just I'm just yeah. trying to lay another layer of context yeah that's right I would say on one hand um, just from a practical standpoint I think you're right you know there's no there's no, um, you know, there's no, there's no animal sacrificial system, like right. I said. You know, there's no. Uh, we we as believers don't necessarily. I sure don't abstain from pork. I don't know about y'all. I love the barbecue. You know. Well, um, the New Testament, you you can have yeah. your your own thing. You well, like to eat. There's no rule. Yeah, it's not. No. So, yeah. so, but um, but I would say that the covenant. You know, I would say spiritually, we could also interpret it as old, passed away, and new. But I think also spiritually we can say that the old pointed to Christ. Sure. And therefore, in a certain sense, the old was, you know, was fulfilled. Was fulfilled. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. In, in that uh, uh, passage from Jeremiah that David read, uh, they also get the sense that the old covenant is over and done with because y'all broke it. Wow. So that I'm too. setting up a new yeah. covenant that you can't break. That you can't break, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, it's utterly one-sided. God fulfills it in himself. Yeah. I've got a question. Please. For the, for the modern-day believers in Christ who also happen to be Jewish. Yes. How does this apply to them? 
It applies to them in the New Testament, which says that God is making of the two into one new man. But if the old covenant is completely gone, yes, are they now? I mean, what's what's the difference then between the Jewish tradition and the the Scottish pagans who also came to Christ? Well, I think Jewish tradition is simply that. It's a, a tradition. That, and, you know, they have their feast and they eat various kind of food. And I, it's wonderful. Just like you might have a Scottish tradition of wearing a kilt and singing a song, I mean, at a certain time during the year. I mean, this is all great. But there's no salvific nature to it. But there never was a salvific nature to it. Other than in the sense that it pointed to the Messiah. Right. But now it's been fulfilled. Right. Yeah. So, so, so long as Messianic Jews do not want to take their traditions and force them on to other Christians. They don't. They're fine. But get they along. don't. They so, just like to, they some, yeah, so. some of them just like to worship in a Jewish way. You know, they build the, 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 ta- the box for the rabbi to sit in and they have the scroll and they read and they sing in Hebrew. I mean. And they eat kosher. And they eat in the mass. I'm doing something. So, so if a Messianic Jew wanted to observe Passover, it would be that different from us putting wreaths and Christmas trees in our house. It's 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 their cultural tradition. It's it's all fine. I mean, I I couldn't be happier with God people's God cultural tradition. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like there's hints in the New Testament, and it's never fully fleshed out. But I think you've been one of the people who who brought this to my attention that there's there's still something special for the first fruits, which is the people of Israel in the kingdom of God. There's some there's still something special that God is doing. It seems to me that when Jews convert, they they sort of gravitate toward becoming natural leaders in the church because they have all if they've read their Bible, which a lot of them have not. A lot of us, a lot of us, know much more about Old Testament than Jews do. We know much more than they do because we're reading the Old Testament. They, a lot of them don't until they become converted, and then they read it. You know, and it, oh wow, you know, it makes sense. But it seems to me like there is a promise that you know one day some blessed generation of Jews yes. are just going to convert all. Well, the toward the end, toward the time of the end, yes, like that, God, that's God there. Is, God is, you know, has not. Completely thrown them overboard. Well, I don't say so. Yeah. I'm saying he's thrown the first covenant overboard. Yeah. <laughs> again, in prophecy, speaks of early and latter rains. You know, there's, there's, they have an opportunity in the BC, you know, so right after BC, but they, but they're going to have another opportunity. Well, you know, so there's still prophecy that are going to yes. be fulfilled with the Jewish yeah. nation. Or we could think even about the day of Pentecost as early rain, and yeah. then it's someday there's going to be latter rain. So, yeah, I mean they they maintain their ethnic identity. Uh, I'm just amazingly, I'm just a little irritated at some of my fellow Christians who uh, are just hog wild, you know, about the Jews. I mean that's all they can talk about, and they go into Israel, and which I don't mind, but I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, what I mean. To see where Jesus ministered, great, let's go. But I mean, well, what else? Most of your guides through the Holy Land are Palestinians. Not anymore. <clears throat> not, not, any, not anymore. Yeah. 
I used to be happy to talk about that all the time. Yeah. Like I'm not, not, not Jewish. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. uh, something that I saw here too, I'll point out real fast, um, that in verse 8, uh, it does where it says, uh, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the, to the people. Yes. So the Masoretic versions have people, the Septuagint has the Gentiles. Whoa, okay. Which is a pretty big deal. Uh, um, yeah. So um, that difference, I, again, you know, I, I like studying the Septuagint, you know, to get. Well, you know, yes. Them, so, you know. Well, I, I I should have looked it up, but the no, Hebrew right. the Hebrew word here may be goy, like the Gentile, the goyim, the Gentiles, well, very well that, could is be. That verse six? No, verse verse eight. eight. Okay, in verse six, I've got New King James, and it says the Gentiles. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, there you go. So the Gentiles are being prophesied here as this as this Messiah is lifted up and glorified. That not only. In Jeremiah 31, a covenant for Israel. It's also a covenant for the Gentiles. Sure. So there we have it. Very yeah. good. Thank you, Chris. That 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 solves a problem here. <laughs> what problems? Well, it being a covenant only for the Jews or only for the Gentiles. It's for both. It's for everybody. I know. Yeah. He makes the two into one new man, one Israel of God. Yeah. So and he is the covenant. Indeed. Okay, well, that's, uh, uh, you'll 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 uh, bear with me here. I'm I'm trying to work some of these things out in my own mind. So, all right, verse nine, saying to the prisoners, "Come out, and to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways on all the bare heights. Shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for he has pity on them." Who has pity on them will lead them by the springs of water. He will guide them. Verses 9 and 10. Verse 11. And I will make all my mountains a road and my highway shall be raised up. I think Connor commented on this some. These highways and these roads appear in Isaiah. You know, He's making this highway between Syria and Egypt. and They walk through Israel and everybody's happy and they're doing all kind of stuff on these highways. Evidently, it's, I don't know what it is. It must be some kind of end-time prophecy or something that, you know, the whole world or the whole, well, wherever we are, everybody's worshiping Christ. And, you know, the Syrians and the Egyptians don't have any problem with Israel anymore. I mean, it's just, we're all on a level highway. Uh, that's, that's what John, John the Baptist kind of says this too. Yes, yeah, he does. It must be it must be some kind of a, a signal or some kind of a sign for what the messianic kingdom or something like that. Holiness. Yeah. Well, before Christianity was called Christianity, it was called the way. That's right. So that yeah, there's a highway there. And that's what the word Exodus means. Exodus. Yeah. It yeah. means the way out. Okay. Well, very good. There's a lot of Psalm 23 in this right here too, about thirst and taking them to the right place. You know, you know, so. yeah, yes, uh, yes, very good. All right, verse 12. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and the west, and these from the land of Syen. Uh, Connor has helped us this on the, the directions in the Old Testament. So we have north and west. What I read, and I think this is open to 
some more work. Syene, my research says that this is a word for Aswan on the southern edge of Egypt, this way south down there in Egypt. Uh, so what would we have? South is the bottom, right? And then we have north and west. So from all of these pagan areas, <laughs> people are coming into the kingdom, right? That would be Africa and Europe. Yes. The, in, but not Asia. the west here, I think in the Hebrew, also means from the sea. So it's this really? idea that they're coming in from the sea itself. So using this ancient map idea that, that Connor's introduced, yeah. literally coming in from the edge of the world, uh, from the places where... Out of chaos. Out of chaos, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. So that the west, if that was the bottom, the west would be the bottom, right? The west would be the bottom. Yeah, the so that would be out there in the land of Tarshish, and I want it to furthest point out there toward the Atlantic and all that. It's, it, it's, it's, it, it is interesting though when you look at the way uh, Christianity has influenced the world it has influenced the West much more than the East. Mm -hmm. you know, so It's like all the apostles and Paul and them. in fact there's a moment in time where God tells him specifically to go to, to um, um, Greece. Greece, you know, go yeah. West. He's wanting to go east yeah. and go west. Yeah, and so yeah. for some reason, I don't know, we don't understand the way God works sometimes, why he separated the west from the east. But, I mean, we're seeing it in big yeah. time now. Well, the Apostle Thomas went to India. There's still a lot of yeah. Christians yeah. in southern India. but And that's sort of about the only place. Yeah, it didn't spread like, God's yeah. yeah. Well, God's, God's uh, promise to Japheth was that he would share in the tabernacle with Shem. And Japheth, you know, Okay, let's go to verse 14. Therefore, sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion on His afflicted. So the whole world is coming in, therefore we could rejoice. Verse 14, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me. In other words, Israel's sin and rebellion stand in her way of a wholehearted, loving return to Yahweh. We can go back, but will God receive us with love? And verse 15 is the answer. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. So if we want to get an idea of God's concern and care for his people, look at a woman and her nursing child. Uh, women, I have observed, are amazing with children. <laughs> I have found that I am not amazing with children. <laughs> I have You're found great with that, a crying baby. Huh? You're great with a crying baby. Yeah, because I just go into outer space and let her cry. <laughs> 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 but it's amazing, you know. It is amazing. We saw a, a, one of these nature shows the other night about these animals, you know, about a whale giving birth to a baby and out there in mid-ocean. I mean, how this whale is caring for her baby. I mean, it was like amazing. <laughs> and she's, she was getting the baby whale strengthened up enough 
so he could make the 3,000 mile journey with her across open sea going back to Alaska. I mean, who can figure all this? But, so, if you want to know how Yahweh cares for his people, look at a mother and her child. That's how. There's a cool verse in Psalm 31. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. So this is a child who is not clamoring to be fed. Oh, it is that's just good. resting contentedly on the breast of its mother. Oh yeah, wow. That's great. Alright, verse 16. Uh, now, he's going to give us another way that he cares for us. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. We, we could think of Christ here, uh, indeed. Uh, but I'm going to say here that the master's name is not written on the servant's hands as we might expect. But the servant's name is written on the master's hands wow. and on the palms at that, which are much more sensitive than the outside of the hands. So it's here that God has our names written. You know? We could think about Christ too, but anyway. He's just, God's just telling us, you know, how he cares for us, that's all. Hey, this is a trick. This is a trick of actors who don't quite know their lines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this one, this one, this one, this one. <laughs> people, are, people that are not ready for their test, too. Jim, <laughs> go to be or not to be. <laughs> Jim? Just a scripture. I probably can't quote it, but there's uh, a scripture in Psalm that said, The Lord's thoughts toward us are more than the number of the same. Man. Well, we don't love people like God. We do not. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, no. Uh, all right. Pardon me? God's that way with not just people, but with just the whole creation. Well, he loves it. He loves the animals. He loves the stars. Yeah. Calls them by name. Yeah. Alright, verse 17. Your builders make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around you and see. They all gather. They come to you as I live, declares the Lord. You shall put them all on as an ornament and you shall bind them on as a bride does. I don't know exactly about all that, but anyway, Zion is going to rejoice again. That's the point. Verse 19. Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants, and those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, this place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. Uh, so, as God brings Israel back in, no doubt from captivity, as he brings us back in, no doubt, is the Israel of God. Um, there's a certain uh, rejoicing involved in it. There's some blessing from God in it. Uh, could be blessing of abundance. I mean, if that uh, uh, could be blessing of children. It could be that. Uh, so this is true. 
of the Israel of God. And it may look like, at least in our country, that the church is down and out, but behold, revival is breaking out somewhere. I don't know where. <laughs> but, it, but it may be, and no doubt it will. Uh, and so when Zion labors just a little bit, she produces fruit. Isaiah 66, verse 8. If someone would read that, please. Maybe I could read it. 66, 8. Not too far away. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Oh, well, think about the nation of Israel. Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. So Zion has to try a little bit. I mean, you know, we've got to try a little bit. And uh, when we do, God blesses our work. There was an old uh, Assembly of God pastor that uh, I used to pray with, I uh, saw him. And he would quote this verse a lot. He, he, in Isaiah 66, 8, he said, When Zion travails, she brings forth her sons and her daughters. Well, don't be discouraged. Keep trying a little bit. I mean, you know, let's don't just do nothing. I mean, let's, let's keep trying a little bit. All right. <clears throat> so, um, let's go to verse 20. Yeah, 21. Then you will say in your heart, Who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away, but who brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. From where have these come? In other words, I'm feeling like it, I'm, I'm, I'm the last Christian left in, uh, in Rhode Island, right? Uh, and really, it's only me and my wife, but I'm not too sure about her someday. I mean, I'm the last one. Now, where did all these other Christians come from? You know? Well, because God's productive. That's where. Why? He's saving people. Uh, verse 22. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their bosom, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Um, yes. Uh, well, this is all, you know production here. God is producing more and more and more and more believers. They're, co they're coming in, they're coming in, they're coming in. In verse 22, he says, I will raise my signal to the peoples. Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations. I will raise my signal to the people. Uh, this word in Hebrew is nes, which sometimes is translated banner. You know, sometimes you hear about these names of God, Yahweh Nisi, Jehovah my banner, you know. That's it right there. So God is going to raise his banner to these people, to these Gentiles, peoples, right? And guess what? They're going to come in. Uh, maybe Israel's not going to come in, but guess what? The Gentiles are going to come in because God's going to raise his, his banner to the Gentiles. That's why. It's right here in the Old Testament. I mean, so well, praise the Lord. In this, in this way, that verse that you read out of chapter 66 could be applied to Pentecost. Yes. In one day, God creates a nation. Where in a day. No nation before. Beautiful. Yeah. What, 5,000 plus women, 10,000 plus children, 15,000 converts in one day. 
That's a church right there. <laughs> where all those people come from. Yeah, where those people come from. Yeah. Uh, okay. Verse, let's go to, let's see. All right, 24. Okay, 24, 23. Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. When their faces, with their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to your feet and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Again, the glorification, I would say, of the Israel of God. Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you and will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am your, the Lord your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. So God is our Mighty Redeemer, and somehow or another, He knows how to take care of our enemies. I'm not sure who all of our enemies are, but I mean, well, the demonic world is an enemy. Uh, so God can uh, can deliver us. That's all I have, but somebody else may have a closing comment. It's, I guess, I don't know if this was meant to be irony or what, but the, you know, the word Israel means contend with God. So now I'm saying I will contend with those who are contending with you. So it's, okay. that may signal a switch. And then he meant the name Jacob at the end. Mm-hmm. Mighty one of Jacob. Yeah. So Beautiful. Kind of all kind of connections. So toying. I've got kind of a big picture question because this is something I've been thinking about a lot. It showed up several times in this chapter, talking about the mother showed up at the beginning, at the middle, and then it showed up again at the end. Is there is there a sense in which all this talk about the mother is about the church, or is this just a historical statement about Mary? I mean, two-thirds of the church would read this and say, well, this is obviously about Mary. But we tend not to emphasize Mary in our interpretation. Well, I, I, so. I have to go back and read the exact passages here again, but it seems generally, what well, I would say neither. It seems generally the primary meaning here is that God is trying to show us what His love is like right. by, by, by looking at mothers with their children and saying, look how they behave. And this is true. I mean, uh, I mean, I've noticed that it's just amazing. <laughs> I think that's the primary meaning. Yes. Other meanings, maybe some. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in context of Messiah, it seems like all humankind is the mother there, the mother of the incarnation. I mean, well, human beings were created in order to bring about the incarnation. Well, specifically Israel, and specifically one right. tribe I mean, within you Israel. Get, you can get more specific. Yeah. But I mean, without human beings, there is no incarnation. So I don't know. I mean, maybe that's too broad. Well, to well as you say, yeah, there. but you wouldn't need the incarnation if we hadn't had human beings. Well, as you said in Genesis, I mean, we were created to demonstrate God's glory, for sure. Yeah, I thought that was what the... Yeah. What the... 
the thing, Presbyterian, whatever. That's the first thing, the question they ask, why are we created to glorify uh, God? Yeah, what, is that 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 what is the chief end of man? Yeah. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yeah. 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 But it's in what? what the Western Confession. Confession. Uh, with the C, I can't remember. Confession. Yeah. Well, the point, though, is, you know, it's good for us to know that there, there is God, God redeems those who need a redeemer, which is everybody. Which is everybody. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I mean, we, we sometimes forget because we put ourselves in a different place. You know, so, yeah. But we have, we have to keep remembering that we are fallen in a sense. Worm-like creatures, and we constantly need redemption. Yeah, we're on stop. All right. Thank you for your attention. We'll start here.